Hello, space fans, and welcome to another episode of the Supercluster Podcast. I'm Jamie Carrero, and I'm here with Robin Seamangle and a, a very special guest who's here to tell us about a new film and a little bit of space history. And I'll toss it over to Robin to introduce Dylan Taylor. Thank you, Jamie. It's a real pleasure to have Dylan with us again. Um, we were just reminiscing on the fact that Dylan was one of the first folks to visit Supercluster in our office in Soho in New York City when we used to operate out of it. And it was uh, such a great time. Dylan is a, a philanthropist, a space professional, an entrepreneur. Everyone in the space industry knows Dylan and uh, his efforts to really, you know, promote what we do here in space and that's exploration um, and also the business of exploration. Dylan, it's really great to have you. Uh, thank you so much, Robin and Jamie. Really a pleasure to be here. Now, Dylan, we're going to be talking about this film coming out, The High Frontier. And I think we touched on it last time uh, you were on the show. But before we get into that, there's been, I think, a big piece of news um, with your organization, uh, Voyager Space Holdings, mm -hmm. uh, for which you're the, the CEO. Now, tell us about this news. I know it broke in space news in December, but you're taking a stake in NanoRacks, one of those pioneering companies that works in low Earth orbit. Indeed. Yeah. Thanks for bringing that up. Yeah. We announced our intent to acquire NanoRacks. It's a two-step process. Uh, first step was to infuse investment capital in NanoRacks. Uh, step two is to acquire majority control, uh, which will likely uh, complete sometime in uh, April. And as you know, or probably know, NanoRacks is led by Jeff Mamber, right. really a legend in the industry. Uh, I think he's the only human on planet Earth to be involved in two space stations, the Mir. Right. Okay. And the ISS. And famously, and I think Nanorex is underappreciated for this, they're the first company in the history of the world, and, and by extension, Voyager is the first company in the history of the world to actually have sovereign real estate in space. That's and that's, that's with the commercial airlock that was installed, I think right. it was three, day, three days before Christmas. Mm. So an amazing company, uh, part of the Voyager ecosystem now, and we're really proud to, to be partners with them. You know, when you think of that that step, it's a pretty big one. And it's a pretty big part of this overall commercialization effort, right? It is. It is indeed. And I think, you know, if the last 10 years was defined by getting to orbit, mm -hmm. you know, Credit Elon and SpaceX, you know, building the elevator, if you will. Right. I think the next 10 years will be defined by destinations. So where are you actually going? And I think certainly uh, private space stations uh, are a thing now, free flyers, outposts, going to the moon, of course. But I think it's really going to be about where to go over the next 10 years. Yeah, it does seem like the issue of reducing the price of rocketry and rocket launches is on a pretty stable road. It, it, there does seem to be light at the end of the tunnel in terms of enabling space access when it comes to costs. But you're right. Now that we've solved that problem, at least in the initial phases, we need destinations now. Right. Um, and that is a very exciting concept. It is. And even the airlock, you know, when it was designed, uh, it was designed to actually detach from the ISS mm -hmm. because the useful life of that airlock, it, it just for context, this is five times bigger than the existing Japanese airlock. It's right. about the size of an SUV, full power, full software, full Wi-Fi. I mean, it's like a you know, a little mini space station, if you will. But that's designed to detach from the ISS and reattach to another space station in the future. Incredible. 
So it's built to last. Obviously, there's a debate or a conversation, I'd say, about when will the ISS be decommissioned? And that is coming relatively soon, in a few years, probably. And there are companies looking to, you know, not be the replacement, but probably be the next step for occupying low Earth orbit. Yeah, I know Axiom's out there, you know, and, and they're friends and they're doing great work. And there are other companies, even large primes, you know, looking at this problem or this opportunity. That's a better way to say it, including NanoRacks, uh, frankly. Right. So I, I think it is an exciting opportunity. You know, one of the things about the ISS, and I think I'm, I'm in the camp that says, you know, give it a Nobel Prize. You know, it's one of the best things humans has, have ever done. Uh, however, if we were design, design it from scratch, uh, you and I, Robin, we wouldn't do it the way it was done. No, of course not. We, we wouldn't have someone on a treadmill, you know, exercising for bone density next to a, you know, a thin film science experiment, right? right? So what you would do is you would special purpose modules, or you would probably even more so have independent smaller stations that were dedicated to tourism, to manufacturing, to research. And I think that's where the industry is ultimately going to head. Jamie, you produced our film, The Station for Supercluster, and um, you did all that research in the early days of the ISS. What is your take on, you know, the ISS being decommissioned and what Dylan just said about like, you know, how would we approach that design today from scratch? Well, one thing big picture about the ISS is it's just such a long story that the impression I got more than anything was actually optimism that so many people have been involved for so long and have solved so many problems and evolved it so much over time that my gut tells me that some version of the ISS, some version of what we have up there, is going to have a much longer life than the sunset that may be planned. And I don't really know what that'll look like, but I do think it'll live on one way or another. And then I guess in terms of how we would rethink it now, the first thing that comes to mind is that rockets have really not been changed dramatically in the time between getting the ISS up there and getting whatever else we would you know, get up there now. So I think a lot of the things that would change are the internal mechanisms and electronics and right. things that have been miniaturized or optimized Circuitry. or yeah. yeah exactly and you know feedback sensors and just our ability to have mechanisms that communicate with us in very integrated ways obviously the ISS was built before you know highly integrated computer networks were common so i think things like that so i would imagine that you know visually it may not be that far out from anything that we've launched or already drawn on the drawing board but i think the internals you know there has been certainly a sea change in electronics technology since we designed the first iss yeah people say that the iss is really small i mean folks who have been there compared to what we sort of imagine here on earth I don't know. I, I, I think they, they can make them smaller. <laughs> they could definitely make them smaller. <laughs> so, and I want you know, one of the main reasons we wanted Dylan to join us today was to talk about this upcoming film that we're really excited about. It's called The High Frontier. It's brought Gerard O'Neill or Jerry O'Neill, as uh, some folks in the industry call him. I think I've even heard the term Jerry's kids sometimes. He's a revered figure. He is sort of a universe builder, in my opinion. He's really laid the groundwork for much of what we're imagining our future spacefaring lives to be like. And Dylan, I'm going to ask you to take it from here. If you're introducing Jerry to someone for the first time, what would you say? 
Oh boy, that's a that's a tough one because we, we needed an hour and forty minutes to tell a story <laughs> right. in a film, and, and we cut a lot of footage. But you know, in general, I would say Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, you know, pick your space entrepreneur, right? And there's many, right? That we all so I many think, now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think you know, many stories worthy of being told. However, they really stand on the shoulder of other giants. And part of my uh, reason for wanting to make the film was reflecting on two things. One is space is happening, as we, as we all know. Right. We're going to open up the high frontier. And 100 years from now, I think it would be unfortunate if people thought the space race or the space industry started in 2020. <laughs> uh, because it, it started much earlier than that. So that, that was one point. And the second point was just having affection for the industry, as we all do. And, and I know you're top of the list as well, Robin. Telling the stories, you know, how did we get here? What, what's our, what's the rich history behind this industry? Right. So that's what was swirling through my mind. And I'm also sort of a sucker. I think most people are for underdogs or untold stories or people who haven't really gotten their due. Right. And Jerry, I mean, so just by way of example, he was a physicist, a physics professor at Princeton, mm -hmm. would have won a Nobel Prize. I mean, this is a true story. He invented the particle accelerator. I can think of no more worthy uh, innovation or invention to get the Nobel Prize. So why did he not win? Well, two reasons. One is he was a science popularizer, right? He was on Johnny Carson and, you know, these kinds of things. He was a communicator. Which, he was a communicator and an excellent one. Right. However, in the 70s, and, and Carl Sagan, you know, was a victim of this as well. Uh, that was a no-no. It still sort of is today, but, yeah. but it was really. Kip more... Thorne would argue that bit him as well. Right. Ryan yeah, Green. So, right. You know? There's, yeah, there, there is, you know, real quick, there is a, a little bit of a stigma with being a scientist and right. using your role as a scientist for entertainment. A lot of people feel different ways about this, but. I think that's what we're trying to say here is that, you know, some parts of your community might not take you as seriously if they think you're, you know, a television personality. Indeed. And I was happy to see Kip get his Nobel Prize. because Yes, he, me too. <laughs> he deserved it. But the other thing that held Jerry back was he died of leukemia at a young age. And of course, you have to be living to, to win a Nobel Prize. So, yeah. so that's just one part of his life as a physicist, which I think is remarkable. And then, of course, in my opinion, he transformed the space industry by really creating a blueprint or roadmap for how we can open the high frontier, which is really where the movie begins and ends, because it ends with this whole notion of, you know, Bezos and Elon, the two richest men or two richest humans on planet Earth are both committed you know, to opening up space in different ways. And we should spend some time talking about uh, contrasting that. But, uh, and Bezos would be more O'Neillian, certainly than, than uh, Elon would be. But the point is, Jerry was this transformative figure. And you, you used the term Jerry's kids earlier. There's a whole generation of people who were inspired by him. And so we wanted to tell that story. Yeah. And, you know, it's time now that this industry and community is sort of, standing up and becoming the commercial industry they always wanted to be. And it is time to look back and see who are the people that laid the foundation for this. Supercluster is a big believer in telling human stories. A lot of our stories dig through history because we're looking for those voices and we're looking for those people that help, you know, stand this industry up. And I think Jerry O'Neill falls under that category. One, we're jealous we didn't make this movie. I think Jamie can agree with that. 
Um, (laughs) It's a really cool, you know, we just watched the trailer again. And I think Jamie spotted a couple of images that came through our archive as well. Some really inspirational ISS early space station stuff. Now, the first thing I want to ask you, Dylan, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, and the difference, maybe this is one of the differences between Bezos versus Musk. Did O'Neill strongly believe that living in space rather than on planets was a better path for us or a more sustainable path for us? Uh, Yes, and slightly no. Yes, in the sense that he believed that infrastructure belonged in free space. And the notion was that, why would you climb yourself out of a gravity well only to put yourself back in a gravity well? That is a really logical thing to say that people rarely think about. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And you know, There's many uh, arguments against going to Mars, but no one yeah. ever says, <laughs> well, no one ever says, Hey, you're just going right back into a gravity well you escaped. And that is a pretty darn good argument. Yeah. I mean, the escape velocity of uh, something in free fall is any velocity. Right. That's certainly, that's certainly an efficiency you get well, by not being in a gravity well, right? <laughs> that's right. And that's what, you know, that was Robert Heinlein's famous statement, right? Once you're in orbit, you're halfway to anywhere. Right. And, uh, and that's, of course, true. And so, and I don't see, you know, Jeff's vision and Elon's vision, Jeff being more O'Neillian, as mutually exclusive. I right. see him as complementary. Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm answering the question slightly differently, Robin, because I do think it's okay to put humans and settlements, if I can use that term, right. on, a, on a planetary body. Mm-hmm. Where, where Jerry was pretty adamant is all the infrastructure, right? His vision was we have this precious blue marble that's just, you know, vulnerable. Why would we take the risk of putting, you know, the earth climate? He wasn't talking in these terms, but climate change, pollution, overpopulation. Why not put heavy industry? Why not put the technology elements of civilization in free space? Right. And the earth then becomes, you know, like a national park, if you will. Right. It becomes this preserve Mm -hmm. and all the heavy industry is off world. And then in terms of where people live. They would either be in the classic O'Neillian rotating space stations, simulating gravity, or perhaps on a planetary body. But the heavy industry, the manufacturing, the power generation, all of that would be in free space. And, that and, and that's the ultimate, not right. in my backyard. It's like right. the ultimate version of just, you know, there are certain things that we would all agree nobody wants near where people live. So let's put them elsewhere. I mean, you know, I think that could be very appealing. When you remove gravity, from manufacturing, it gets far, far easier and far cheaper. And when you think about energy, well, you have the universe's greatest nuclear reactor not too far away. And you can also design in three dimensions. You know, essentially a factory is like a flat surface. Certainly things go vertically and move around, but you have to really think about how things move on the floor. But a, a weightless factory can have work on all different kinds of surfaces. Your space right. efficiency and your, you know, moving things around becomes really amazing. And, you know, it's, it's amazing because this all seems like common sense <laughs> to us. And, but these are concepts, these are serious concepts that have been imagined for the last, you know, 40 years by folks like O'Neill and, you know, people who started JPL and all these folks who sort of thought about, well, you know, they thought about it at a more practical level than I feel like we do sometimes right now. I think sometimes, you know, we, we go straight to, Hey, let's, land humans on Mars, no matter what, great, you know, let's get humans 
back to lunar orbit, lunar surface. But that practical way of thinking, it'd be great if we could lean back a little bit to some of that way of thinking. And that's why it's important to talk about people like Jerry, I think. Yeah. And just part of the lore, we cover it in the film, but you know, famously, Jeff Bezos is part of his valedictorian speech, allegedly. I haven't confirmed this with, with Jeff directly, but <laughs> there's I, no record of it. <laughs> I, I think I think it's credible. In his valedictorian speech, said, Look, I've read this book. It's called The High Frontier. I'm going to go make a bunch of money in some industry. I don't know what. And then I'm going to implement the, this blueprint. I mean, that's essentially what he said. And and furthermore, as I understand it, the reason he chose Princeton as his university is because Jerry was a physics professor there. Right. So it definitely impacts, and you know, the Blue Origin campus is, I think, you know, uh, Robin is, is the O'Neill campus. So, I mean, you know, his DNA is, is embodied in, in what, in what Jeff is doing. And I just think it's fantastic. And Jeff's in the film, Elon's in the film as well, you know, covering topics. That's amazing. That's... But I think it, it's, it's important that we all contextualize Yes, you know, what's happening in the industry is amazing, but it's happening because of people who are inspired by people who are inspired by people, right? It's right. It, it, There's a lineage here. Yeah, there's yeah. a heritage and a lineage. And I think there's a cultural significance to the ideas that these folks had when they were alive. Yes. Um, and they should be preserved through film, through books. Yeah, I'd love to see, I mean, we're going to see it one day, you know, Bezos is they're expanding Blue Origin. There's new factories at Kennedy. There, you know, there's going to be an O'Neill Museum if there isn't already. There's going to be one at some point. And I hope that, you know, people go back and read The High Frontier. Right. And he's got other great books too. 2081 is being republished on audio. Right. Uh, I don't think High Frontier is on audio yet, but 2081, I think, just hit audio this week, which is a great book if people haven't read that. There is a companion book for the film coming out. Oh, great. Which will be out. Uh, probably roughly the same time. The family, I should mention this, was highly supportive and cooperative with the film. That's awesome. And so we had a lot of archival footage from, from Jerry and his estate, including an unpublished autobiography, oh. uh, which nobody knew existed. And so we've used that pretty heavily in the book. It's harder to use those materials in a, in a film, but right. we had so much material and so many stories we wanted to tell about Jerry, we thought we needed to have the book to to come out with the film. Wow. It's really exciting to hear that you got the family insight because that's just going to be a well-rounded story. Are they considering publishing the autobiography? We've talked about it. And I think once we get through the film release and the book, I, th I think that is something we should consider. It's pretty drafty. So it would require a lot of revision. And right. you always want to be sensitive to that because, you know, if you're interpreting what somebody may or may not a thought, but I think it could have been his first draft too. That's the right. Problem, you know, maybe. He but his like his it. his widow uh, Tasha has become a close friend and amazing woman. So I think that is something we would maybe want to take on. Mm -hmm. uh, but right now we're just trying to get through the the film. And <laughs> yeah, film is a pretty heavy lift. And yeah. from what I you know seen so far and read about it, it seems like it's a deep dive and it's mm -hmm. going to be emotional. And obviously, you've seen the film. Are you happy with the way it came out? Incredibly, incredibly. And I think it is a long form documentary. Mm -hmm. uh, so one of the things we've talked about is recutting it into a, you know, the trend right now in docs is to do like a 50 minute version. Right. And we might do that. But I think for the real, you know, aficionados, the people who are deeply affectionate about the industry, I think that the time, the longer form, I think people will appreciate because it's more of like a, you know, 
finely crafted film. But yeah, I'm, I'm super happy with it. And, you know, we have some great people in the film talking about how inspirational Jerry was to them personally, mm. uh, how he impacted their lives. And so it's great. Yeah, it's a it's a labor of love, like like all art, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. and I, I like the long form. I think sometimes people misinterpret the changing attention spans and thinking that everything has to shift to short form. I think it simply means that now we have a wider variety of lengths of time that people will consume stories. And in. that includes the very short, the medium range and, and feature length. But some stories require more time to tell. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that was my thinking exactly is let's get the long form out there, right? That's, that's the masterpiece. And then, you know, a year from now or six months from now, if we want to recut one that maybe is for classrooms as an example, right? then that's great. You know, we, we should consider that, but let's not lead with that. So, uh, so I appreciate your comments on that. I, I agree. I, I know the documentary is dropping in April, right? Don? It, it is. So the, the global release date is April 18th. And if people just Google the high frontier doc or documentary, you'll, you'll find our website with our trailers. We are going to do a global live stream on April 17th. Oh, nice. Um, so we'll, we'll direct people to the URL for that. Uh, so that'll be sort of a global, you know, streaming premiere. And then the next day, it'll be on all the major platforms, you know, Amazon, iTunes. People can can watch it that way as well. And uh, there are now three trailers, all of which are on the website. Okay. And uh, social media has launched this actually today. We timed it for this uh, recording. And then the merch store is open. So I think if people go to the website as a first step, they'll, they'll see all of that. That's great. I think our audiences, I think they're going to be all over it, I think. And uh, I think we're going to be among the first to watch it too. We're really excited. I wanted to quickly talk about some of the influences apart from, you know, we have Bezos, we have Musk and we, you know, we're O'Neill and talking about these large habit habitats in orbit and throughout space. And that stuff has permeated popular culture over the last 30 years in many different ways. A Matt Damon film called Elysium, of course, Matt Damon's in it, about a ring world habitat above Earth was trending the other day because I think there was a New York Post article about a small startup exploring that idea. Sometimes this news uh, runs away with headlines uh, getting a little ridiculous, but you know, you think of one of the most popular video games of all time, the Halo series. Right. A lot of that, those concepts came from the, you know, the, the era of like the O'Neill, you know, this idea of off world civilizations, people mm-hmm. living on things that we've built, uh, mass manufacturing, things like that. But yeah, I, I think I wanted to make that connection that you see a lot of these images and imagery throughout popular culture because uh, they do inspire people. They're really, you know, not to be crass about it, but like it's nerdy. It's awesome. It's, uh, you know, people dream about living on uh, in space and sometimes it's not a planet. You know what I mean? I grew up loving the alien films and, you know, the concept of Whaling yutani being a corporation in space and building these large uh, spaceships that people live on is really fascinating. And these are the types of stories that get people interested in space exploration, get people interested in extraterrestrials or colonization or settling. And I think that it's okay to put forth ideas that are a little out there. And even now we're realizing that they they do inspire people like Jeff Bezos uh, to actually pursue it. 
So my, I guess my, the morale, the morality tale here is there's never, uh, there's no such thing as dreaming too big when it comes to conceptualizing space. There's lots of, like I said, space to build. <laughs> yeah. Oh, for sure. And just the, the sheer number of people inspired by these ideas too, Robin, that's the other thing that struck right. me. I think we interviewed 24 people for the film and I think uh, 14 made it into the film. But, you know, on one side, you have Peter Diamandis, who I think everyone knows, you know, founder of the X Prize and, and very influential, not only in space, but other industries. I mean, just blown away by Jerry's brilliance. And of course, you know, Peter must have been probably in his 20s. And I think, uh, although I don't think Peter said this on, on film, but I think Jerry inspired Peter to found SEDS. Mm-hmm. Well, SADS has went on and inspired countless other people. Yeah. So you have Peter, you have Lori Garver. Lori Garver's in the film. She was an original Jerry Jerry's kid. I mean, she went a different path, you know, more uh, government path. She's had a huge impact. She's inspired many women. She's a co-founder of the Brooke Owens Fellowship. Yeah. So you see how the tendrils spiderweb, and you can see how from Jerry, all these wonderful things have been born. Uh, Frank White. Right. You know, writer of the overview effect, Rick Tomlinson, you know, Loretta's in the film, who I know, you know. Mm -hmm. So we've got lots and lots of people doing amazing things in the industry, all tying back to Jerry Freeman Dyson. Freeman Dyson is in the film. We were able to get Freeman on camera before he passed away. That's incredible. And I'm excited to see that interview. Just another person who conceptualized space in a way that no one else did before. Yeah. Well, just, just, you know, beyond brilliant. But Freeman is not someone who gives compliments freely and he you know i mean this is a guy who worked with albert einstein yeah and, uh, yeah and richard feynman and oppenheimer yeah, basically a contemporary of every right. great name in physics in right. history right. exactly and to hear and i won't i won't in fact i won't say a word about what he says yeah. but just when you hear him talk about jerry on camera to me you know that that was the part where it's you know a tear comes to your eye it's like and and again, Freeman, I think this was about six months before he passed, and he was insistent that he was going to be on camera for the film. It wasn't going to be a remote interview because he loved Jerry and he, and, and he respected Jerry. Oh, wow. That's a powerful thing. And uh, another reason I can't wait a month to see this film, that it sounds like this film was a labor of love. And I think when it comes to uh, documentary filmmaking in the space industry, it's going to make some splashes. I think that people are going to be excited to learn a new story. There's a, the new generation of space professionals. They're, there's, they're a bit young and they're going to be learning something from your documentary. And I'm sure there's going to be something for people who do know who Jerry is. I'm sure like Jamie and I are going to learn a, a ton from the documentary. So April 18th, it's going to be streaming. You can rent it on Amazon or purchase it on Amazon and iTunes. And folks can look at the trailers through the High Frontier website. Yes, that's correct. High Frontier documentary website. The trailers are on there. A merch store is on there. If you want to fly your colors and, and show your support, we would appreciate that. You know, we're super excited about it. The book, like I said, Robin, will come out also in April. It might not exactly make that April 18th date. And then uh, what else? Yeah, 2081 on audio. I would recommend that. I'd recommend High Frontier book on audio as well, but it's not on audio yet. I hope they do put that on audio. That sounds like it would be an interesting audio book to listen to. Yeah. I, I prefer audio myself. I mean, I, you know, and I assume a lot of the listeners because this is a podcast, right. enjoy audio as well, but I just find it's an easier way to process information for me personally. But yeah, 
I guess uh, that's why people listen to the Supercluster podcast. But Dylan, thank you so much for joining us. And I'm going to hold you to this, but one day we're going to be back in an, in an office somewhere, hopefully yes. back in Soho, and we can get together and sit down again and catch up around this time next year or something. Yeah, um, or even hopefully we can meet somewhere like uh, next to a rocket launch or, or uh, near where yeah. they're building a space robot or, <laughs> or something exciting like that was, as, uh, as we uh, all start to travel around again. Yeah, I was telling Dolan before the show how much I miss space conferences and the gatherings where we get to see, you, you mentioned Loretta, that's one of the people that I miss seeing every couple of months just around DC, Cape Canaveral, LA, where, you know, all of us in the space industry, we're used to being face-to-face with each other. We're right. a small community. So yeah, everyone listening, we, we miss you all. And um, <laughs> we're going to still, you know, hopefully be doing some events. I wanted to also shout out Space for Humanity, um, an organization founded by Dylan and run by some amazing people, Sarah, Rachel, all of you, Sebastian, who's on social media. We are kind of uh, working together on content and sharing rocket photos and sharing the story of spaceflight. I just want to thank you for making that organization what it is. And just a teaser, we're planning an event together for sometime soon in the future uh, so we can all get together and geek out about space. (laughs) Love it. Thank you so much, Robin and Jamie, for having me on. It's great to be with you, as always. Thank you, Don. And uh, cool. thank you to Thanks. all our fans and all our listeners. We'll be back again next week. Yeah, and as always, uh, make sure to check out supercluster.com for more great space stories across all media. And remember that space is for everyone. <laughs> <laughs>